Mana 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 this is social discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and an actor whose fantastic album, A Glimmer on the Outskirts, was released in 2019, along with appearing in a number of film and TV projects in recent years, like the excellent 2018 film Blaze, as the titular Blaze Foley, along with The Kid, The Good Lord Bird, and the upcoming Amazon series The Peripheral. He's a Little Rock, Arkansas native, loves a good bit of informational spelunking, and The Cure's Disintegration is one of the finest records he's ever hoyed. Please welcome Ben Dickey. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for, for taking the time. Again, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. Yeah, you know, as good a place as, to, as any to start the easy to ask, difficult to answer, deeply unfair question, how are you? And how have you been, for that matter? Well, uh, my partner and I, we've had a crazy uh, seven months. We lived in southern Louisiana in Covington, right near Lake Pontchartrain. Oh, Covington. Uh, my aunt lived there. I've been there many times. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. Covington's lovely. Parts of it. Beautiful. Anyway. Yeah, and that the north part of Pontchartrain is so lovely, you know. So anyways, uh, Hurricane Ida uh, came into our house. We got about five feet of water in our house. And um, <clears throat> we actually went to Little Rock. Uh, we evacuated to Little Rock. Um, and I actually uh, sort of tentatively made plans to possibly spend some time in Little Rock, thinking that my house might just need some work on it. Yeah. Uh, we went back and evacuated our stuff my studio my gear and we actually put in storage out in west little rock and um lo and behold the house was totaled and uh we decided we were going to move we sort of had a desire to move up to the hudson valley for a couple of years so um, we relocated temporarily to western connecticut um, staying with some friends on a property that they own getting ready to buy a house and uh, to mix in with that all, we uh, went down, you know, we were ankle deep in the uh, Chifuncta River, which is the actual body of water that came into our house. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found out with a little bit of foresight from some morning sickness that uh, Beth, my partner, is pregnant. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. It was a it was a thrilling thing to learn and also a terrifying thing to learn in the circumstances. Sure. <laughs> We were like dodging snakes and uh, cleaning out, you know, heaps of uh, stuff that we lost. Um, but lo and behold, we're going to have a baby and he's going to be here in April, uh, which is next month. Uh, the winter, I'm a southern person that uh, finds snow romantic. And I think I, ice capped mountains are gorgeous, but I just don't like being cold. Agreed. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, to go with the insult uh, of being angry about it being uh, very Arctic, I slipped on some ice uh, about a month ago and broke some ribs on both sides of my body cavity. My God. And that was, it was like, all right, think we've got a hurricane, got a baby, got some broken bones, got all of our stuff in the storage. What, and, then, and then the Third World War is sort of uh, happening. Yeah. Um, uh, so how I am is I'm sort of working hard to look at the good side of things, and uh, I'm hoping for the best on all sort of sides of it all. 
I I can understand that. I mean, you know, let let alone we we, you know, bearing the lead of a pandemic as a backdrop to everything else. There's uh, that's a lot to unpack individually, let alone <laughs> yeah. the tornado collectively of all of that. That's yeah, transitions an amazing thing. Sometimes everything changes, everything you know, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. So I guess. <laughs> I know it's a weird thing where like uh, you want what you don't have. So boring can be nice when you don't have it, but it's also intensely boring when you do <laughs> yeah. have it. So it's like, yeah. you know, pick your poison. It's the magic of adaptation and evolution. You know, you learn to evolve and adapt. And before you know it, you're sort of can't remember what you were doing before and who you were, et cetera. And, and in, a, in, a, in, a, in some ways, that's a really cool thing that can happen if it's I for the better. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just that, uh, you know, the, uh, as, as somebody who uh, can have trouble with change for the most part, admittedly, and then, you know, like three weeks later, I'm like, my life, it was as if it was never any, any different than it is now. Isn't you know, it it's fascinating? Like, yeah. It's like, I'm so resistant, I guess, because it's like this fear of like relinquishing control, I suppose, or, or the, the illusion of control. And then when it comes around, I'm like, Oh, it's as if it's always been this way. It's sure. I'm so malleable, it's ridiculous. I'm always fascinated with what really, really stays rooted in my brain versus what I lose. You know, I lived in Philadelphia for almost 18 years and in Little Rock for 20 before that. And when I'm in those places, or when I was living my life in those places, I could tell you, you name me a street where you at, and I could tell you street to street how to get where I was. Yeah. And I could give you directions, you know, if you were calling me from Arkansas a year after living in Philadelphia. Fast forward to about 10 years in Philadelphia, I can barely remember street names in Arkansas, but I'm versed in Philadelphia. Well, I moved to Louisiana in 2014, and I was certain I was going to stick all those Philadelphia uh, streets hard into my brain, but they're so faded. They just fade away pretty quick. Although I imagine the muscle memory of it, like it comes back quickly. If you like go back, yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Your brain's like, hey, we're back in the map. Let's wake <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I always, I've been thinking about that too, you know, just in all of this, obviously with the pandemic, about how, you know, humans are innately so, both so, uh, so fragile, but also so resilient, so strong. You know, the the inherent contradictions of what, they, of what we are. So many, in, inherently, we're just... It's like we're everything all at once, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. just with certain things fading in the background. But unbelievably fragile and unbelievably strong. Yeah, you know, like human adaptation cannot be underestimated. That's yeah, incredible. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And you got to look for that too in people in situations, and you see adaptation. You see sort of some sort of evolution happen in a fast manner. And maybe in this regards, I'm talking about to what's going on in the Ukraine. You're watching this incredible adaptation to an unbelievably horror show i yeah i am mm. um, i read an article about it this morning about just you know some people's like perspective from going into to help fight uh right. from like canada and talking about you know like their posts over the over like the last 10 15 days and how as i'm reading each each day's post you just see how the how the, the destruction of the country and how it's devolving essentially to just a you know a wasteland. Yeah, and, that's the idea. I think that's, that's yeah, that's the idea. And I can't, uh, I can't wrap my head around something that's so inhuman. I, I can't, <laughs> you know, I, I can't yeah. fathom uh, that. You know, there is a uh, some people really, you know, really personify true evil. 
and uh, they do. You know and what you what you started saying was you think about the people who go toward the fire, and toward the terror. You know, World yeah. War Two that we had people from the United States fighting in Italy and Spain before long before Pearl Harbor. Yeah, I'm always yeah, human beings are so vast and they're very various variants. Uh, DNA and their architecture, how they can do it. I've never met, I've never known anybody close in my life that would be like, you know what I need to do right now? And I would, I would love to know someone that I need to fly to Germany and take a train to Poland or fly to Poland and then see how I can get myself across the border and get uh, armed to go to town. It's a different, you know, it's a different species, really. It's, you know, you know, in in my most romanticized version of myself, I'd, you know, I'd love to think that I I would be that way, but of, you know, because in a very cinematic way. Yeah. But I know I'm not, and I'm and I'm admire anybody that has that mentality because I I just do not. Yeah, but you probably have some skill inside of an emergency to be applied. I don't. I would never go toward the gunfight. I would certainly be uh, available to help. Uh, on the other end, and certainly, you know, uh, trying to bring morale up, take care of kids. Uh, I'm a pretty squeamish person. <laughs> I don't know how well I do suturing people up, but I can feel that energy about myself, and for that, I feel thankful. Absolutely, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I would, I would definitely be support staff. I think. Yeah, yeah, and people, you know, that that's that end of it too. You know, absolutely. Well, um, I did. Did. Uh, how terrifying is a hurricane to be in, exactly? Um, I didn't know until 2020, and I was in five of them. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, 2020 was the warning shot for what happened last year. We should have known better to stay in Covington, especially in the house we were in. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the funniest thing about a hurricane is you see it coming for so long, and it's all anybody wants to talk about, and you change your routine to being this uh, hovering over the TV and the news to kind of look where it goes. The five hurricanes that came in 2020, at, at certain points during their trajectory, they literally came over our house. I mean, they, the, the map showed the eye coming over our house. Wow. And in 2020, every single one of those five turned either hard east or hard west, about 100 miles from the coast where it had been coming straight ahead. So there's that aspect of it, and that included for me in 2020, my my wife was away, and um, her father had passed away, and she had flown in the middle of COVID to, uh, to uh, Princeton, New Jersey. So I was alone, and, and the neighbors came over one day and said, you know, you probably want to clear out the bottom floor of the house. <laughs> I was wow. like, we would say what? And my my studio, her studio, she's an artist, our den, uh, our laundry room. So I, I by myself moved everything up, thinking the whole while, you know, maybe maybe this isn't gonna happen. And again, that hundred mile mark where they, they would turn, the river still came uh to the house. It still got close. I, I was I was standing in water just a little bit in my Beth's studio. But that some of them came and you uh, you can't help but sort of your fear oscillates back and forth between your fascination because you've never seen anything like it. The power of it's a sheer wall, whereas, you know, you're in a thunderstorm, you can sort of feel gales coming from different directions, you know, it's kind of whipping this away and that. Yeah. But if you watch the tree line, if you can, if you have a sight line looking at tree lines, it's perpetually blowing hard from one direction in a massive sweep. 
and it creates a noise it creates a noise that's ungodly the closest one that came in 2020 i don't remember the name of it because i was too depressed by ida uh, Fair. but it was it was it was those howling winds for like five hours you know and the dogs and i the power went out and then my dogs and i were just like well <laughs> you know in the dark river coming up august in south louisiana i think we're going to be all right <laughs> no yeah. idea you know no idea but it's amazing having lived in louisiana as far as, as long as we did those people down there go through it they deal with the emergency of it that cajun navy that's down there all those people that are sort of hey, sometimes they have emergency uh experience sometimes they don't sometimes they just have a boat but there's this built-in uh this is the way it is down here and it's 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 a little like being in what pompeii might have been like for the yeah. last eight months but you still sort of fall in love with everybody's you know i we're not going to go anywhere and there's a shared uh there's a shared like if people think about leaving the you know the communities like, oh don't leave you know why, why would you want you know they don't want you to go they want you to come back so it's yeah. terrifying to answer your question but it's also if you look around a lot of stuff's going on that's yeah that uh terrifying is uh yeah seems like a fair answer to say the <laughs> least uh my, my dad um was born and raised in new orleans so right on i'm um pretty familiar with the state and it's uh it is unto itself in the greatest way possible. Uh, it's a beautiful, delightful state. Oh, it's the most state. one of a kind state in the union, without a doubt. I've never. It's almost like you you cross the 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 border into Louisiana, and it really is. I've never seen a state that's just so unto itself like that. Never, no, no uh, I, I totally it's, agree. It's excellent and resilient people. So much warmth and beauty. To, I, I I love that state so much. Yeah, I've, I, I, I'm endlessly fascinated with the state for its musical, art, culture, history, food history. The Acadians, I think, are some of the most fascinating, wonderful people. Uh, even though I, I, I have some friends in Nova Scotia, I spent a bunch of time up there. And, and that spirit, I don't know, just this tough but kind, loving, uh, welcoming spirit that's also, you know, don't fuck with them. Exactly. exactly. I was about shit, to say that. If shit goes down they're going to be the ones surviving you know they're it's pretty wild <laughs> great friends frightening enemies yeah no doubt no like, doubt. yes no yes doubt. like uh they are people you would love to befriend but man alive i would not fuck with those people oh, I, I wouldn't cross them i wouldn't no. cross them they don't forget and they they've got a deep <laughs> deep deep understanding of uh human nature <laughs> they <laughs> love and hate equally oh uh, well it's survival at its ultimate uh, level there no i i yeah my um yeah, that's when we're, we're, you know, my uh, dad's ancestors, they, that's where they came in, in New Orleans. They just settled there, so. Wow, where'd they come from? They came from uh, Portuguese backgrounds. So, okay. So, I think the Portugal area, the area on my mom's side was uh, more, uh, what was that? More Eastern European, Germany type, Van Dusen. So, right. Dutch, Dutch, Dutch. So, All right. I don't, I don't remember where it is, but there's a little convenience store run by some Portuguese folks in is it, uh, uh, east part of town. I can't remember. Okay. Anyways, in, in New Orleans, I used to always like, go in there and my Beth would always be like, if, you know, Portugal sounds so different than certainly Spanish and the Mexican version of Spanish. Absolutely. And uh, she would always be like, hey, they're speaking Portuguese. 
it's a beautiful language too. I'm yeah, not. I agree, yeah. yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know. I'm so bad at learning languages as much as I. I'm trying of late just to learn something, you know. Yeah, Bywater uh, is what I was thinking of, by the way, the Bywater. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he grew up in the Ninth Ward uh, in New Orleans. Wow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a such a great city. Is he still around? He's still around, yeah. Yeah, he's in Little Rock as well. So. Cool. Yeah, great state, great city. Um, Little Rock. Did you have, I mean, you had said, I wasn't going to ask if you had connections in Connecticut, but you had said that friends... And lived up yeah. here? Yeah. A uh, f- friend of mine bought a house actually right before the pandemic, sort of like luckily. And uh, to, anyway, in other words, they live in New York. And, okay. And um, this was sort of like, we didn't know what the heck we were going to do. Uh, we didn't want to like, hey, we don't want to shop for houses on our phones. And we didn't want to go looking for rental places. And, and they were gracious enough to say that they've got like a little, a barn that's been adapted sort of to have like a little apartment in it. So we were living in this like really little barn, getting ready for a baby, hunting for houses, and really hoping that the Third World War doesn't start. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a that's a fair hope. Yeah, uh, agreed. Yeah, Completely agreed. And it's uh, legitimate. It's legitimate that it might. It's a very frightening thing. It's the, uh, I, I, admittedly, my uh, grasp of geopolitics is limited, uh, enthusiastic uh, in the sense of learning about it, sure. as, as I have been uh, not enthusiastic or having to learn it for these circumstances. But um, it's, uh, it feels, uh, the fact that I'm ignorant to the degree that I am and understand that it's a very real possibility is in and yeah. of itself frightening. Yeah. So, um, but I... Are are you looking in the Connecticut Connecticut area or somewhere else in We're, terms of like potential landing spots? Um, the dream is to be in and around Hudson, New York. Uh, Beth, who is my wife, um, I keep saying her name. I don't know if I clarified that, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> she grew up a little bit. She grew up in she was born in Manhattan, but she grew up uh, from like six to twelve. In the Hudson Valley and loved it and we both have friends in and around um, it puts me close to New York um, I, I don't think I was doing myself much favors being in South Louisiana trying to you know Louisiana's unbelievable music world but uh, sure. it's sort of unto itself and touring and uh, auditioning and trying to do more film work and stuff being in close to New York is a big help uh, so we, we, you know, that's been sort of on our radar for about five years, you know, but it's so hard when you live in Louisiana and you love it the way that we both do, it's hard to be like, well, <laughs> let's yeah. go up to where it's icy and snowy. And I yeah. just, you know, last January, I remember sitting on my back porch and it was like 55 and I was playing my guitar and watching an orange sunset over Pontchartrain. And I was, I looked at my phone and, uh, you know, looked up in Philadelphia and New York and it was snowing for the next like 36 hours. And I was like, man, like I said, I lived in Philadelphia for a long time and I never, ever, ever got used to a Northeast winter. I just never did. I never thought like, oh, it's fine now. You know, it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely understand people doing the opposite and moving from a Philadelphia or New York even and adjusting quickly to a California and that right. temperate climate. Right. That I understand. But the opposite, I... You know, as somebody who's lived in Arkansas as long as I can remember, sure, it's it's not something I don't think I can fully adapt to. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I need to defrost. I think. Uh, 
I, I, my last year in Philadelphia, I used to, I was a chef for a little while and I would walk, especially when it got icy, uh, to my job. And several times, you know, sun's not up yet. I'm heading to the restaurant early in the morning and I'm watching somebody in their seventies alone, navigating the icy sidewalks that haven't been dealt with. And, you know, if I could, I would help, but just, just the idea of having, um, all these people around me who, for them to go outside to maybe get, you know, a, a, a packet of uh, cheese and eggs for their little apartment is, is death defying, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, I could slip and break my hip and die or break my head and die. And, and you know how many times you, I've seen so many sweet little old people just fall down. <laughs> and I don't I, know. It's rough, man. Yeah. I was thinking too, just now that, uh, you know, Walking in ice, to your point, is a skill. Walking in that weather, let alone driving, and so many people, you know, especially in the north, obviously, just, just do it like it's nothing because, yeah, that's just part it of their life, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's incredible. It's an incredible learned behavior. It's right. impressive. Right. I can't do it. Like no. you know, here, water's on the street because of like a sprinkler, and people lose their shit. Damn. Nobody can. Nobody knows how to handle any kind of inclement weather because then again. We don't have the experience, but uh, anybody you talk to that's from the north who moves down here, you know, they're just laughing at how we approach ice. And yeah, fair yeah. enough. We just don't know what to do. But in 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 defense of science, we all know that the the way that ice forms on the streets down in the south is different just because the humidity level in the water table. Sure. I, and uh, I remember that that remember in, in Atlanta a couple of years back they had that ice storm. It's like twelve years ago now. And that was intense, was, I remember. Remember that every people were like, oh, these idiots don't know how to drive. It's just, it's really different. And the yeah. concrete that they use, they don't ever think about ice, you know. Well, yeah, and it's, to your point, like it's it's infrastructure that's not in any way built to it's not built experience in that yeah. at all. I'm amazed so, up here, you know, Philadelphia was okay at dealing with ice and shit. Uh, but up here, um, we're kind of in a rural area and these, these plows are fantastic but they're uh they're very menacing they sound like the f train is coming down the road <laughs> <laughs> and they're supposed to be helping you and they're frightening. right right you know yeah. so like one of the first nights we went to sleep on tuesday night and it, there was no forecast of snow and woke up to about eight inches yesterday wow but in the middle of the night you hear them things coming and they're so it sounds like something from lord of the rings man because it's got chains dangling and the things like scraping the concrete and it's roaring already. It's a tremendous sound. The dogs are convinced it's demons on chariots coming. They go crazy. Little do they know, it's quite the opposite. Uh, yeah, that's a, the juxtaposition of that, Of to your point with like Lord of the Rings. Of, uh, what if Sor Sauron was a nice guy? You're like, <laughs> that's, that's a... Really that's yeah. a really good... That's Man, I would love to see that movie. Is it, but not only is there peace in all of... Uh, Middle Earth, but Sauron, Sauron's back, Sauron's back. Like, <laughs> I love this be, guy. This guy's yeah, cool he, as hell. He hasn't been here for 400 years. <laughs> he's back and he's kind of funny. What a nice guy. Super man. funny, brings amazing food, <laughs> like, man, some slays really... you with his comedy. <laughs> so, I mean, he's kind of got a wry sense of humor and weirdly, you know, sometimes people kind of get ornery in 400 years plus but this guy's kind of laid back now he kind of gets the cosmic joke 
And Aragorn is just like Aaron Rodgers. He's just like a star in some sport league. You know, that's like the, like the most drama he's got to deal with. Is just... Yeah, he's the guy who's like uh, incredibly successful, but somehow has a chip on his shoulder still. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a fascinating juxtaposition of that. Jangle, uh, don't, my dog's about to run to this microphone. Get out of here, you dingo. <laughs> Jangle, is, go on, bud. Is after Jango Reinhardt named after? Well, I, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I, but, but when we got this, this, we had a German Shepherd called Dino. We still do. And we love with her. We wanted to get a second one. And uh, we got this guy, and we hadn't even talked about names yet, but we were both just looking at his goofy face on the way home. And I was like, yeah, that's Django. He looked like he had a little mustache, too. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I remember years ago I watched a documentary on Django Reinhardt about I think it was more about the that there's a Django Reinhardt festival every year. I want to go so bad. In his hometown and it looked really cool. It looks I've seen that documentary and yes. it's fantastic. And doesn't that little town just look like the most romantic place in the world? Oh, that town looks incredible. Like how I mean how could you around. not want to go to that town? It looked like it looks like the most in the best way possible, the most like cliched European town I've ever seen. Yeah, and it looks yeah. beautiful. I don't smoke cigarettes, but it sure made me want to smoke cigarettes, <laughs> fish, and play guitar around dinner time. And once, yeah, it makes me want to do all of the probably cliched American perspectives of what to do in Europe in that town because it looks just looked amazing. Like wear a scarf, smoke some kind of like rolled clove cigarette or something. Yeah, yeah. It looks delightful. And uh, blow people's minds with your guitar prowess. <laughs> I watched, uh, I actually watched the um, Blaze Foley documentary last night. Uh, oh yeah, Duct Tape Messiah. After, yeah. And I'd watched, uh, rewatched Blaze before that last night. Right on. Um, after I saw it in the theater when it originally came out in 2018. Cool. It's a man. What a great movie. It's hey, a thank you. Genuinely great movie. I uh, agree. I think it's a genuinely great movie, and I am I'm I'm stunned myself every day. This just that I got to be uh, participate in it. You know. No joke. I know you were in the hottest state previous to that, but. Did you have acting experience or very little? When I was yeah. in high school, a good friend of mine was pushing me to do it, and I, I do it meaning do the school play, etc. Yeah, I had done a little bit when I was young, uh, but when I was in high school, when I learned that for the spring part of the year, I could miss the last two classes of school for the rest yeah. of the year. That's <laughs> and get, I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm always I'm a very performative person, and, and a bit of a ham if I'm with people that I love. And um, Ethan Hawke was the person in my life who, you know, I would make him laugh or do bits and we would, we would do stuff together. And he would just say, I think you would love to do that. You know, I think, I think, I think you would really love it. I was working in a kitchen and desperately trying to get my rock and roll outfit into orbit. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I didn't I didn't think that I had any value. And I don't think it, meaning like I, I didn't. I knew actors and I was friends with actors who were so devoted to it and so good at it. And the idea, I don't know, I felt like it would be an embarrassment, not because I do a bad job. But I don't know this. Who, why is he bringing in this guy? And he sort of lured Beth and I into doing this kissing couple scene and then this movie, The Hottest State. And you know, he was, I was giddy to see him directing, which is because I was very proud of him. You know, he's, yeah. you know, people think when you become an actor on his scale as Ethan Hawke, you think that you're sort of in this like state of like, you know, everything's roses and I'm floating and waiting for my sweet next opportunity. Yeah. 
but it's really you, you're back to square one in your guts all the time and certainly when you write a novel and try to make so i'm there with him watching him and i just want to be there to support him and he wants to put us in the movie the day that we shot the scene he just asked me you know what'd you think and i think he had hopes i would be like man that was great this is cool um and I didn't. I was like, you know, I, it's you're awesome. This is awesome. Your actors that he had working in that um, were awesome. And I was really, I was really not. <laughs> didn't he was like, you get the bug? And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, you know, when my band Blood Feathers broke up, it was, it was, it was traumatic in a way, and it was like a divorce of friendships and a giant disappointment and missed opportunities. And I worked in the service industry i was a chef and that was sort of an accident my brain was sort of falling apart so when we i left philadelphia in 2014 for louisiana and i think when i got into that place of i wasn't in the kitchen anymore my band was broken up and i was really scrambling to figure out oh, geez what i was going to do um when he pitched the idea for the blaze thing i was just uh, i was up for it because i love blaze you know yeah. what i mean like i, I if he would have said, I want to make a fictional character based on Blaze, I would have been like, oh, man, <laughs> like, I don't know. That would have been too much for me to to bite off. He was smart in that he knew I would take it seriously because I, I looked at it as an opportunity to stand up for Blaze fully. And I knew that I would take care of him. Yeah. And so what happened was when I did that and I made we made Blaze. I realized that I actually was in love with all of what making a movie was uh, from from the entire crew, the feeling of being on a mission that's a good mission, you know, it's it's that feeling of like the hustle to get to the front lines of a war, but you don't got to hurt anybody um, because what you're doing is trying to grab these things. And that um, that sparked a re-inspiration for me to want to go back to, I mean, I, I hadn't quit music by any measure, but I'd certainly, I was heartbroken, you know, I, sure. I didn't know what to do. So you were mourning, so to speak. I was in, yeah. yeah, yeah, so to speak. And so when we made that, I, I fell in love again with so much of the, the little common things about songwriting. And also I could see Ethan more clearly in his abilities as an actor and a creator and a storyteller and that awoke things in me of the value of storytellers period just you know there's nothing better than being with four or five people and, and the one person or whatever anybody telling a, a fantastic story um that's really like ultimately the most <laughs> it's my favorite part of humanity really. yeah you know like telling telling stories in the cave against the shadows jumping off the wall is how i think we became more civilized creatures so absolutely yeah, it was an amazing deal then. Uh, yeah, I imagine just the um, being with this group of people, all of these creative people with all these different backgrounds, all working toward the common goal. And really good at what they do. Yeah, yes. Like that must be intoxicating. It's intoxicating because I have so, I'm such, I have, I, I, I will be in love with you and have a crush on you. If you're a real idiot and an asshole, I might not, but people who are really good at what they do and they know it and they continue to hone it. I just, I'm in love with them. Man. I love that so much. Like me it, too, man, the like carpenters and just, you know, even the, like, you know, uh, line producers and the people that are just there doing this big job. And 
you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you really stick out like a sore thumb. And there's that energy that wants to force anybody that's sort of in that place of like <laughs> ignorance and yeah. or laziness. You got to get them either learned up or you got to get them out. And but what goes more with it is just that mission. Every single day there's this mission and you're so inspired by all these people that are there for it. And when we made Blaze, it was a little, little budget. Ethan's, Ethan's reputation brought most of the people who worked on the movie uh, because they probably could have made more money doing an HBO show or something in New Orleans because yeah. we shot in Louisiana. And when you felt all of that energy, a, you don't want to do a bad job, but you also would, would be very, it was a very invigorating thing every single day. And so supportive too, I imagine that it's like, it's not, you know, that the fear of, fear of failure is so much less when everybody is there with you and they're right. all in support of you. And also like, you know, the, the great thing about independent film, I mean, on so many levels is that everybody is so goddamn good at what they do because nobody can afford to have a straggler. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know? That's exactly right. And also though, like, the other thing about, I mean, there's so many great things about independent film, but another thing being that if they're all there for that collective good, especially like a movie like Blaze, it's an unquantifiable thing, but you feel that on the screen. You feel the love and the investment on the screen. Absolutely. And in Absolutely. that movie, you, you it's overwhelmed. It's like overflowing with it. That movie is yeah. so good. Like, I cannot recommend it enough. I rewatched yeah. it last night. Reminded me of how good it is. Yeah. I haven't, you know, I haven't really watched it since we did all the press for it, where I watched it a ton, certainly the last like 10 minutes. Um, yeah. But it is true, and I've said this before, for me, and this is the case for everything I've done therefore after, when you're working on it, it's a, it's a thousand percent not, it's almost like, especially with Blaze, it didn't, it didn't click to me this, this would all be shared. It felt so much like this community experiencing this thing together. Yeah. And, you know, working with Alia and becoming friends with Alia and Charlie Sexton and Josh Hamilton, who I've known for a while, but watching Josh work, watching Alia work and all of them inviting me forward and not treating me, uh, with fragile hands. It was like, Oh no, you, you'll know what to do. Come with me, walk this way. And, and that, that kind of generosity coming at that level is really, really, you know, it's humbling and it's also really beautiful and graceful and it makes you, you know, it fills your heart with hope and you want to do a good job. Absolutely. You know, like, uh, and Ali and you had such a natural chemistry, which obviously is so central to that, that yeah. movie's success. That's a huge deal with her playing Sybil. Well, she's an incredible artist, an incredible person, and she lent herself fully to the role of Sybil Rosen and and gave her heart and soul over to the story and invited me to do the same. Um, Ethan was smart and let us sort of start a friendship months before we started shooting, just to get to one another. One another. Yeah. And... Um, we actually had some friends in like we shared friends that we didn't know about and there was a lot of kismet um magic happening around both of us coming into these roles uh alia had a good friend in her life who was very very close with sybil when they were children oh wow and uh you know those kind of stories went on and on and on for me in the role i mean there was there's all sorts of universal uh chords and strings uh revealing themselves in a in a way that was like okay i'm not going to question this i'm not going to call it voodoo or magic or anything i'm going to be really thankful for it but after the fact you look back and go holy smokes uh, um, this was meant to be yeah exactly so um 
getting getting Alia and I got to spend time together and we started we started writing each other the same way that Sybil Rosen and I had been writing each other and I began recording her songs and she would send me poetry and you know we I was like oh you're more than just for real and talented you're like you're you're and we we I got as people we saw each other and um it you know it lent to believability because it was real i mean and yeah. we were both really moved to be participating i love that um, yeah yeah she seems to have a in my perception which seems to be like a very um a, a great energy a very earthly energy to her or something uh she really projects that on screen yeah she's she's deep she's really deep and she's also funny and um she's she's keen and has some sort of an ancient way uh as well as really feeling like you know she feels like uh, a new species of person you know yeah like like there's all these young people sort of uh artists and whatnot we are like oh good good like there's there's the evolution i want to see this like sort of new um awareness or something something yeah uh, tell me about your planet please yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you are. How'd you get here, and do you know how to get back? Yeah, thank you for being a non-threatening alien. Please, yeah, I want to yeah, get to yeah. know you. Um, uh, I, I'm. At, I'm sorry. Continue. I was going to ask you if you saw. She made a film called Duck Butter right before we made Blaze. I was going to ask you if you saw it. Talk I've not, it. but I've heard it's great. It's been on my list for a minute. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. There's some unbelievably beautiful cinematic, just frame framework performances are out of, outrageously good, but. It's a really interesting premise for a film, which is two people falling in love and deciding to do everything you would do in about the first seven years of a relationship in one night. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got to watch that. Yeah. I'll put that on my list. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I imagine uh, getting into the, like the cadence or the rhythm of speaking like Blaze Foley, I imagine it's kind of intoxicating because he has such a, he had such a beautiful interesting way of speaking his cadence yeah that yeah. i imagine once you kind of tap into that it might be a little hard to get out of it because i can see that running into my like natural yeah. speaking uh that was the least of the problem sure <laughs> yeah there's other things that stuck that were harder to let go um you know before we made it i was so wishing i could like get a permanent cold during the making of it so that the timbre of my voice could just be yeah, a little bit. You know, he's he's got such a wonderful canyon uh, baritone to his voice and his singing. And I knew I'd never be able to get there. But uh, what I aimed for was he's got a lot of playfulness in his cadence and the melody of his cadence. Certainly when he's on stage, you know, telling stories and, you know, you, know, you can feel for me something I did before I got into playing him was I, I watched and I love Jonathan Winters. He's like sort of like a hero of mine. And for some reason I had it in my mind that Blaze Foley must also really love Jonathan Winters. So one of the first things I did was just watch Jonathan Winters a bunch and do around the house Jonathan Winters bits for my wife and the mirror and whoever. And then I shifted to what Blaze would have done with him. And that that helped me so much. And also just listening to him talk Sure. But um, that was easy to sort of like come come out of uh, the 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 depth and the sort of uh, I don't know I think Blaze and Towns and a lot of 
the characters from that world that were dealing with some invisible pain um, had a pride about how deep into their own personal sorrow they were willing to wallow. Mm. And certainly Towns was okay looking you in the eye and saying there's no hope. <laughs> Just relax, man. There's no hope. Let go of the hope. Which is a heavy thing to say, especially if you're dealing with a friend, you know, sure. you know, don't, you know, don't fool yourself with warm thoughts. It's all gnashing teeth. <laughs> and there's, there's a little bit of a romance, but it's intoxicating to when you, when you're around somebody that can still look at you and be funny and still look at you and play the songs that he and Blaze were playing. That's intoxicating because it's in the face of those gnashing teeth. I'm going to sing big cheeseburgers and good, you know, good French fries. Yeah. And that was the thing that that got me that 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 got me. And, you know, Beth and I were living in northwest Louisiana in a little town called Gillum on a cotton farm. And we went from the magical experience of making the Blaze movie, being with best friends every day, bonding with new friends, uh, experiencing all the emotional ups and downs of making that film and the excitement of knowing that we were capturing something powerful to being back on this farm and really nothing doing. Uh, We got to kind of figure out what to do now to make some money, think about touring again. And I had adopted that like oh here's some sorrow let me go deeper yeah let me go let me go deeper yeah and that's not good for me and you know that that held hands with the sort of depression that came just from like i'm probably maybe not seeing some of those people ever again damn this has got you know it puts so many things in perspective uh just friends of mine who've been in this industry making films longer than me like God, does it ever get easy to say goodbye to something that was fun, you know, something that was powerful or the bonds that you have, you know, sometimes, and I've, I haven't done much, sometimes it feels like a gig and you do your best to, to be there, but you're not really, you don't miss anybody. Sure. You know, Blaze was the kind of thing where I was in love with everybody I saw every morning going into hair and makeup every morning. I loved those people and making them laugh and watching them, you know, fall in love. And some of those people knew who Towns was or Blaze was, but that that sort of rich environment of like, oh, this is, we're doing, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if this movie ever comes out. We're turning these people on, you know. That feeling is is hard to let go of. Oh, I imagine, <clears throat> you know, I imagine that is, you know, in a way, and obviously it's it's so much more good than anything else, but the Devil Edge sort of such an intimate film like that is that that come down is probably difficult because, yeah. It know, is. It really it's a hell is, of a yeah. first project to be on. Obviously way more for the good than the bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, were you in England for the, uh, the William Gibson adaptation? The, uh, yeah, I was the, uh, oh, you know, the peripheral. I, yeah. peripheral. We didn't really go anywhere except for when her father passed, she went to Princeton for the whole pandemic. And then I got, I started getting a little bit more auditions at the end of 2020 and I hadn't, you know, because of the pandemic and, and I sort of like had not, not wanted to do a couple of different things that came my way. And then that came along, and we, you know, we hadn't we, we hadn't let, really left St. Tammany Parish uh, or Orleans Parish otherwise, and all of a sudden we flew to England for you know eight weeks, wow. um, and I had, I'd been to Europe before I'd never been to the UK. Uh, we had to quarantine the first ten days. The second day we were in in England, 
there was a tremendous uh, ruckus outside and I looked out and I saw what I th what I would have imagined would be uh, sort of like a gay pride parade. It looked like people, good people, was, uh, young people, uh, a lot of rainbows, a lot of face paint, a lot of people looking like they're having a good time. Lo and behold, it was an anti-vax parade. Oh, of, of about 600,000 people that's going a, right in front of our hotel. It's a very different mentality of a group of people. Good. But, I, you know, having been so sheltered for the whole, you know, 2020 and here it is 2020. It was so, I was like, what? Like, I thought, you know, I was like, oh, that looks cool. Like, they probably shouldn't be out there without their masks on. But hooray, you know, we were like, but then we, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of violent too. People were throwing stuff. I was like, what in the world? Like you can almost but, sense the energy of the people in that group. Uh, far yeah. away yeah it, it felt like a fever uh, oh. a strange fever so that was a strange thing because we couldn't leave the hotel so we had like eight more days to consider all of that and in, in our little hotel room getting ready to work <laughs> on this show that that i didn't you know i i, I read part of the book uh it's not I, I didn't really know what the character i play in the book is not really uh, doesn't really feature very much in the book yeah so I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> and then, you know, I was in, I was like in England every day and then I go to set and I, I would just be like, all right, we're shooting this today. I don't know really what's going on, but I'll just do what's on the paper. <laughs> Sheriff Jackman. Just gotta... Sheriff Jackman, man. You know, yeah, I would be like, what's the tone of this exactly? Because I don't know what, you know, how that's going to, how sci-fi translates necessarily sometimes. Yeah. Tonally. I, there's a couple of people that, in, that I've known in my life that I put into Sheriff Jackman, and that's what I came with, and nobody told me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know in what? Words, no news is good news. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, I imagine the Natural History Museum was incredible. It was so wonderful, and it was not crowded. Uh, the Victoria Albert Museum as well. I mean, I, I'm I'm such a little kid in that measure art museum. The Tate was unbelievable. Oh. The natural history, I just I'm I'm nine years old when I go in and I don't want to leave and I want to make sure we see everything. Oh yeah, I want to read every plaque, everything. You know, when you walk in that museum, they've got these little things, uh, just these like almost like a window, like a mirror box you go up to, and they're all different minerals. Um, and some of them are rocks that look like moss, and some of them are they they're like they look like trapezoid tron molecules, and it's it's sort of there for the idling people that are waiting to go up this giant escalator. It's not a feature; it's just kind of like here's some cool stuff that yeah. they can fill some space with. And I, I I couldn't stand leaving it. I was like, this is absolutely petrified, different petrified woods with like rubies growing in the middle of them, and I was like, man. This is fantastic, and these little kids would run around, and I was like, "Isn't this fantastic?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's fantastic." <laughs> like, no, that's sorbet. That's a palate cleanser. No, this is yeah. the this is the main dish for me. Yeah, look again, my <laughs> friend. That's five billion year old rocks. That's that's what I love about just any. I mean, and learning any new thing or learning about something or discovering something new, and obviously museums are just that on steroids. I mean, it's everything you could ever want, and it just gives me the perspective of like where we are, where we've been, where we came from, where we're maybe yeah, going. You know, I exactly it's the best. Right. It's the exactly best. Right. A good move is to do. We did Tate Modern on a Wednesday, and then we did Royal Albert on a Friday, and, and uh, Natural History on Saturday, and we sort of didn't do 
all of the Tate Modern. And we didn't do all of the Victoria, but we did all of natural history. And it was great because it was all um, like like 40% full. That was all they were letting in, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, you, you kind of just move around. There were no cues for anything. And um, yeah, I just... <laughs> I was like, well, let's go. Let's go to another one. We went to a we went to a, a sneaker exhibit too. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I was really? watching like like twenty year old like uh, British kids just lose their mind over some very rare Jordans or something. <laughs> it was, it was fa fascinating though. I was like, this is amazing. I learned that they call sweet shoes crepes over there, so I got to try to get that into my lexicon. Really? Yeah, That's fun. Fresh crepes, bro. I love that. It reminds me of uh, Eddie Azard, the comedian. He uh, yeah. he goes, "I'm from England. Where the history's from?" And I think about that anytime with England, and you're like, they, they, "You know, you think we all live in castles, and we do. We're up to That's here right. with fucking castles." I got a funny story about Eddie Azard. Oh, I worked uh, I worked at a catering company from like 1997 to 2001 in South Philadelphia. Very very small, really great, you know, homemade stuff. Anyways. I was, it was winter time and I was in this, all we had was this little kitchen. That was the only physical part of the property is this little kitchen. And then, you know, it was catering. So we didn't, we didn't do any seatings or anything. And it was winter time and I'm sitting in there in this little chair and I'm about to start loading this truck up and the door opens and I hear this voice and he's calling out the names of the people who are owning it. And I look and it's Eddie Izzard and but he's like doing this voice. He's like, he's like, and I was so confused. I was like, what is it? Maybe it just looks like him. He had a hat on and yeah. it was kind of like overcast and rainy in Philadelphia. And I was like, man, that guy looks just like, so anyway, they talked with him briefly and hugged him and asked him how he's doing. And, and, and it turned out it was him. And they had met, these two people had met him on happenstance like 20 years prior and kept up with each other. And he was there performing and they were going to go see him. But I was, that's amazing. It was so surreal. It was like it was like seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're like rubbing your eyes. Like I did not anticipate an an Eddie Izzard sighting on any level. Yeah, and it was one of those things where like if people popped in like that to that place, I was a if I was there, I can I help you? What are you doing? Because you know, we're not you know. So I was I was ready to go at this individual. And be like, what the hell are you doing popping in here, man? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, renowned renowned comedian Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard, right? Who. Uh, I know his last comedy special, maybe the one before that too, he performed it, which is, in, I, I can't even wrap my head around how difficult it must have been, but he performed his stand-up in English, German, and French. Mm -hmm. And to be able to adapt that to the different comedic stylings of a culture, let alone the uh, um, interpreting it and saying a different language, to me that's, so, I can't imagine how difficult that is. He's very impressive to me. <laughs> It's it's um it's a fast way to getting a good gig in the CIA. <laughs> true, true. Mm -hmm. And I think now he's running, might be running for PM. So, man, I hope he wins. I do too. Yeah. After I saw that he ran thirty marathons or yeah, thirty marathons in thirty days, uh, I, I, you can do anything. Yeah, if you're that smart in that world and you choose satire for the angel share of your life and then choose to be the PM, God, go for it, brother. No shit. Um. I, I want to ask you that with um, is songwriting something that you're always doing, or, or is it, you know, something that's more towards working towards an album for you, or it's it's a permanent condition. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was just 
a friend of mine lives in the Hudson Valley who played drums actually in my band, Blood Feathers. And we were talking and, you know, I have a, I actually have a, a problem right now where I've, since pandemic, I recorded an EP's worth of music right, like, like weeks before the pandemic took uh-huh. hold. And um, I hadn't, I recorded that in Philadelphia and I hadn't gone to finish it. We probably 75% done with it, five songs. And a uh, pandemic hit and I sort of, you know, I lost focus on that. And in the meantime, because of the pandemic, I tried to, I don't know, I've written probably 125 songs since the beginning of the pandemic and 40 or 50 of which I'm like, should be um, candidates for a new record, but I've lost my perspective on what I want to do because another part of me wants to jump into something really fresh and different and new. Yeah. But I've got this, the weight of not being able to put them out in some shape, way or form is really heavy right now. And it's like, it's causing my mental state distress, but I, I write music in clusters. I usually write about four, five, six, seven, sometimes at the same time. And it's because once a spark of inspiration hits, it's it like bounces around and all this other stuff happens. So, you know, I might I might hyper focus on two brand new songs, but on the on the skirts of them are like four or five. And what I do is I try to tidy up the four or five so that they're sort of like uh, standing up enough to look at them and figure out what to do with them later. But now I'm in this position where I've got so many and it, it's like I, I've really lost perspective. I don't know what to do. So I'm trying to find focus right now. I'm focusing on healing these ribs and getting this baby boy healthy into the world and uh, getting all that together. But I I get whatever I do film wise in 2022, I hope it's exciting, but I need to do something with these songs. Yeah. Does it feel to not um, have them finished? Does it feel like, I guess, unfinished business or something? Or is it just a lack of a resolution towards them? Yeah. You know, um, the process of songwriting is so vast but my process of getting them from the nucleus to you know close to being done they're never done really you know you just let them go when you put a record out but the yeah the finality of that and the like uh yeah you feel like um if i don't if i don't put them out my brain still works on them and i don't know i've got six or seven songs that i've written in the early aughts that I've recorded demo wise, you know, 20, 30 times in different variations at different times. And if I don't finish it, it feels, uh, it feels like a weight and it, 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 it's a, it's an uncomfortable weight. It feels, they nag at you. Like, why are you working on other stuff? I say that and, sounds um, like it could be maddening, you know, it's like, ma- no, it's proper mad. It really is. You know, really like is. knowing that it's still there and like to, to like, you know, set that clay to fire, just get it out there. These are, I'll never stop otherwise. I'll keep toiling. It, it, I mean, it, it's, and, and now I have access where we're living. There's like a main house. It's got a beautiful piano and I've been transposing stuff on the piano or writing brand new stuff on piano. And what my ADD brain wants to do is to take the brand new stuff and start forming it and messing with it. But then I'll go back and listen to something I recorded before the hurricane. And I'm like, oh, right, right. This piece is great. And that bit, oh, that's great. And yeah. I did that. Oh, I don't even remember doing that. That's great. And then and then, and then I go, fuck. Yeah. See, <laughs> because, I- you know, I can't even like sit down with some musicians. Like One of my favorite things over the last couple of years is having the freedom to write songs, make demos, and send them to musicians that I love and and, and 
rather than back in the days when you're teaching it to your bandmates and there's this long time of a couple of the members of the band aren't as into it as everybody else that kind of sort of like thing sure um that i i just miss you know that's that's the magic thing about the demo to the recorded version is that stuff you never would have thought of you get a hold of some good musicians and that stuff is like i've been talking about evolution like it that sort of like feels like that that's when those things happen i'm like okay i'm growing and this is life is going well yeah i mean <laughs> but yeah when they but stack that, up it's hard to your point they're like yeah it's like the solar artist the aspect is you can do it all on your own terms but you can't also i mean to your point like underestimate the collaborative thing and oh i never thought about that way and how you can almost it's almost like looking at a statue stand you know moving five feet to the left and then everything changes and there's nothing better than like the first 10 minutes of rehearsal band rehearsal where we're just trying to get in tones getting sounds and then you know just screwing around for that first 10 minutes and being like ah this isn't this isn't this great (laughs) i mean isn't this just great even um even like in a pandemic world you know where where there's relative isolation you can't you can't underestimate what it is to feel the energy of other people creative or otherwise just period it's unnatural not to have that absolutely absolutely um last thing before we wrap it up what uh what are you listening to these days well i sort of i sort of linger in uh this place of 1940s 50s i sort of always go back to it the empire um Imperial recordings of T-Bone Walker is something I go back to every like three years to ground myself. That and Django Reinhardt for sure. Yeah. Um, I was I was electrified by a couple of the moments on the new Big Thief record I listened to, and it made me just think, thank God for those people making that what they're making. Um, I think she's a outrageously good songwriter and lyricist, and that there's a feeling on that album that's. It's not the sonically the most exciting thing you're ever going to hear, but mm-hmm. the human feeling on it is really big, and I keep listening for that. Um, I listen to WWOZ on streaming at home a lot, um, and I like I said, I I'm a I'm a gigantic fan of weird dissonant '30s, '40s, '50s stuff that I'm you can always mine more of. Um, there's an app. What's it, what's it called? Maybe I'll tell you what it is. Okay. I'm using this app. Is that my airplane or your airplane? That's my. That's a Little Rock airplane. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like right over your head. I'd say I live right yeah. by a little airport, so that's what that Where is. Where do you live in Little Rock? Well, I live in Sherwood, Arkansas, so I'm just like 10 minutes outside okay. of Little Rock. Yeah, no, I used to go to the Sherwood all the time. I spent a lot of time in Roland. Oh, nice. Yeah. Roland's beautiful. Yeah. It sure is. It sure is. My sister used to ride a horse out there. Where the hell is this thing? It's um it's a great. It's a it's an app that you can pick a decade. Oh. And then you look at a map of the world. Oh, I've heard, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't know what I've Here it is. Radio is what it's called. It's radio with five O's. Okay. And that sounds um, amazing. The best stuff right now that I'm obsessed with is weird, like North African music from like 40s and 50s. Um, tone, tonally, rhythm, rhythm-wise, uh, there's some crazy uh, Middle East music from the 50s, 60s that just that 
anytime you hear stuff that completely sounds you know not of the sonic world that you're used to yeah i think it just like knocks down different uh acreage in your mind <laughs> to to sort of draw from but there's there's all sorts of i don't know the contemporary music i check out uh i'm actually wearing my sierra Farrell t-shirt right now she's so I talented love, she's so great and she's got she's got the mysterious spark and sort of the mysterious and mischievousness about her and that album sounds outrageous yeah i'm i'm a big fan i've only in the last maybe like six months kind of discovered her for myself and uh uh yeah she's very unto herself i i think she's great yeah yeah it's it's fabulous Radio. How about you? What are you listening to right now? That's a great question. I was listening recently to the new Mitski album, okay. which I quite like. Uh, listening to, I find myself revisiting older stuff a lot. I guess maybe as like a a warm blanket of audio comfort. But yeah, that's what it's there. For. You know, and uh, listening to uh, just person I talked to a couple of days ago for the show, Chris Farron, just released a new um album called uh death don't wait which is his soundtrack to a spy film that doesn't exist right so it's <laughs> it's rad. it's so good i highly recommend it but it's it's like an old 60s bond type you know spy film soundtrack yeah, very burt bacharacky it's really good uh um, really about good. about 17 years ago uh i got it in my head that i better go ahead i better go ahead and write my james bond song now okay because i know they're gonna come to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, maybe i was a little more cavalier then but i i wrote this this theme to a to a future james bond film so i, I look I, well, tell me again his name chris farren uh chris farren f-a-r-r-e-n i'll check out chris farren's spy that's rad he's a very cool guy um and also, like the the songs, they were also like kind of like they're also cheeky. So, like yeah. one of the song titles is "Cash Is Heavy," <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's all there. It's it's great, you know. And it's yeah, it sounds he's he's a great guy, and the uh, the album is fantastic. And it's a quick, it's like thirty minutes, you know. Like it's uh, tidy, yeah. yeah. It's it's really good. I think you'd really like it. Um, How long have you been uh, doing this podcast? I started this uh, at the very beginning of the of the pandemic uh march 20th march 21st 2020 so it's it's a i've listened to podcasts and i certainly listened to mark Marin's podcast a lot over the years yeah and i'm always struck with um the therapy session tone of them not in a not in a convoluted or bullshit way a really positive way and i'm curious as to have having done it for so long can you imagine not doing it no i mean it's I you know without over, I'm not overstating it. I I think it's it's helped me keep my sanity in all this. To, I bet, to be yeah. able to speak to people, connect with people, ideally connect with people. Yeah, it, it can't be underestimated. It really can't. You know. I agree. It's well, good. Cheers to you. You're good at it, man. Oh, thank you very much. And um, well, that's a great way for me anyway to end it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you again for doing this. I absolutely loved it. It was so fun. You bet. I so appreciate easy. you. Thanks for asking me to do it. Absolutely. And uh, what all, if anything, do you want to point people toward uh, before um, I wrap it up? Well, I'll point you toward the peripheral, which is coming out, I think, in the fall. Okay. It's eight episodes. It. Uh, I, I didn't get to see any of the other stuff that was shooting it. There's some pretty remarkable performers in it. And then uh, the stories, if you're into sci-fi, certainly if you're into video games um, and VR, 
it seems like a really cool thing to check out my part of it it was so secretive i don't i couldn't even look at the script otherwise but oh, that's wow. gonna be cool um and that's from I've, lisa joy and jonah nolan so we did westworld yeah, so pretty westworld, pretty right, big predator right. there yeah and it was that was like a very streamlined operation from top to bottom all things considered with covid there sure. was challenges but i'm sure that um Everyone's going to be excited when that thing goes away. That's the only thing I got in the can that away. Uh, I hope to maybe toward the end of the summer do some shows in the Northeast performing again. Uh, oh, nice. But you can you can look for me posting pictures of my baby when uh, he gets here. That's about the only thing I can point you toward otherwise. <laughs> well, congratulations again. That's very exciting. Thank you. I'm very excited. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I imagine. Um, okay, well, thank you again for doing this, and you're welcome. Thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. Please be kind to yourself and be kind to others, and lead with empathy. Thank you again. Bye.